0: Welcome to the 1CA Podcast. This is your host, Jack Gaines. 1CA is a product of the Civil Affairs Association and brings in people who are current or former military, diplomats, development officers, and field agents to discuss their experiences on ground with a partner nation's people and leadership. Our goal is to inspire anyone interested in working the last three feet of foreign relations. To contact the show, email us at capodcasting at or look us up on the Civil Affairs Association website at www.civilaffairsassos.org. I'll have those in the show notes.
1: My name is Juan Quiros. I'm currently an active duty civil affairs officer, and I work with civil affairs force modernization at Fort Bragg, North Carolina.
0: Today, 1CA Podcast welcomes Juan Quiros to discuss his paper, The Oblique Approach to Irregular Warfare, Civil Affairs as the Main Effort in Strategic Competition, published January 2023 in the Small Wars Journal. We brought in Juan today to talk about his article and the civil affairs approach to competition. We had a lot of fun recording this interview, so I don't want to waste time. Let's get to it. Juan, welcome to the 1CA podcast. So what inspired you to write this paper? I guess before I start all that, opinions expressed in the
1: paper and on this call are my own. Right. So I was a team leader in an active duty civil affairs battalion from 2019 to 2021. And in my own conception of my career arc, you can say it will coincided with the end of Afghanistan withdrawal in 2021 and the beginning of strategic competition, great power competition with the 2018 National Security Strategy. I kind of saw my own career as a team leader kind of straddle the beginning of competition and the end of counterterrorism as the focus. So, besides the schoolhouse where you kind of get the basic doctrine and lessons learned from your instructors. I just never saw in my own unit, how do we get after a strategic competition? And a lot of people say, well, you know, we're scouts. So you go out there, you check out the civil environment, and you report back what you see, which, if you think about it, there's plenty of researchers, plenty of think tanks, and a lot of journalists who cover Chinese activities, or just foreign activities in general. And that could work, but if you think about it, a lot of what PRC does is trying to mold the civilian environments into their favor. Military ties are overridden.
0: I agree. And I think it's smart that you saw the pivot and you tried to move off of terrorism, even though terrorism is still an active U.S. policy and there are people dedicated to it. Competition is going to start to overwhelm the agencies and the departments and focusing on it. It sounds like you kind of try to get ahead of it.
1: If you think about it, we have a partner force we might work with repeatedly doing J sets, training events, sending some of their guys to school in the US. But if that same person has a Huawei phone on a Huawei network, all their country's economic goods are exported to China and all their imports are from China, then you're really giving military training to somebody who, on other levels of social, Economic factors. It's not say like beholden to China, but they're dependent on China. Right. So how do we get after those avenues for influence and coercion? Office civil affairs focuses on every non-military aspects of the environment. That's what I was trying to get at. I'm not sure about yourself, Jack, but I know me as a junior officer. Besides the training I got for the, the qualification course, I never really read Doctrine in depth for myself until I got out of that tactical time where you're always training and you're always deploying. So I thought, well, now that I have time to actually marinate and read Doctrine, how can I reinterpret this to be relevant to those guys who they don't have time to read 150 pages of Doctrine, but they can read a five-page article.
0: Sure. And Juan, I think what you wrote is helpful for that because you saw that gap between what's being taught in a schoolhouse and what's going on in the ground, and you applied it. And that's so important because you're the canary for policy change. Because you're out in the ground, you're seeing that the current conflict is not terrorism, it's, it's corruption on the ground, it's payoffs, it's economic influence. It's everything except for the M, shifting conditions to where nations Change their orbits in favor of our you know, competitor. Yeah, that's correct. And you applied it, so that's great. Have you seen a lot of response?
1: Just from my active duty peers who reached out and said, hey, and I saw the article. I think it's a great summation of what we should be doing or, or apply our doctrine differently. One of my OICs mentioned that somebody in a different unit sent out a mass email saying, hey, you guys should read this. Check it out. Somebody's re-looking at CA's doctrine for competition. He's like, oh, this is written by you. And I was like, how do I get this out to more people who don't read Small Wars Journal? And so I figured it would be good to get more awareness for it.
0: And do you want to cover some of the key points of the paper?
1: Sure. First of all, the reason why I chose that title, The Oblique Approach to Regular Warfare, was because the regular warfare, when you look at Army Doctrine, says the focus of Irregular warfare's operations are to gain or maintain influence over a relevant population through political, psychological, economic methods. It isn't the same overt military action or organized violence. So there are ways to get after irregular warfare, and I think that's where civil affairs can play.
0: Do you think um, that we've had this before, that this is actually just a cycle of special operations and low-intensity conflict that fills the gap between major conflict and Cold War?
1: I guess so. And going back to Clausewitz's quote that everybody likes to use, war is politics by other means. You could argue regular warfare is just warfare by political means. If you look at politics, do you manage human relations in regards to resources. So in my conception, the old traditional way of warfare was military action gets you to the five-yard line. And then civil affairs come in trying to help get the politics right at the tactical level so that the strategic level objectives is reached. For instance, in Afghanistan, if there's a government in place, that's where civil affairs try to help get past that five-yard line to our actual objective. But in regular warfare, I would say it's reversed. Instead of carrying the ball for the last five yards, civil affairs and other civil entities in the interagency have to carry that ball 95 out of that 100 yards, we should be doing the majority of the work because most of the battlefields, right. they're political-economic. So I know in my article, as a subtitle, Strategic Competition, a lot of organizations we would be working with maybe don't necessarily view their activities as warfare, and I would argue that's fair.
0: Yeah, you don't want someone from trade and commerce coming in and talking warfare. It just, it's wrong. <laughs> you want yeah. them to talk about trade and commerce and then how we integrate to make sure we get to the same foreign policy goals.
1: Yeah. For this paper for tactical soldiers and leaders so they can understand and fit into the wider US government approach as civil affairs because we deploy in such small teams, we work with so many senior level interagency people. You need to have an idea of the bigger picture. So the way I organized the paper was first what would make civil affairs the main effort in irregular warfare Or competition. So I try to find relevant examples of these things happening. What are the tools that are being used? Corruption, economic coercion, and disinformation. These are areas that civil affairs can take the lead in. And so I just summarized FM 3 57 core mission sets of civil affairs. Good examples civil network development and engagement. A civil affairs team can build a network that helps counter Chinese influence my paper I pointed out a example of a local community in Kenya that worked with NGOs to block the construction of a Chinese finance coal plant that would have destroyed their ecosystem and their environmental well-being and then civil knowledge integration another process all civil affairs units do but instead of focusing on form our higher command or our adjacent units about civil considerations I'm talking about how do we inform USAID, NGOs, IGOs about concerns that they would be better pursuing and which could also help counter malign foreign influence.
0: Right. And USAID is trying to put their arms around this whole competition thing. So a state. Everyone's struggling to figure out how to get on the ground and be more influential against competitors.
1: Yeah. And you can even argue that's a division of labor because- yes. Department of State and USAID have pretty big footprints. Yeah. But still there's can go to more places. And hopefully with the paper, can give some ideas for how to go about it.
0: Sure. Matter of fact, I've been looking at updating the CA core task on anti-corruption because it's been an, an interesting part of my career for a long time. And it fell in my lap just recently. One of the things I've been pitching is not only oversight and monitoring which is a part of the you know CA core practice now but also doing the interagency engagement and targeting towards illicit actors or oligarchs to go after the things that drive that oligarch or that criminal actor so that it drives them to reforms better oversight and exit from their position
1: yeah and you can argue civil affairs are meant to understand and leverage the civilian environment, while also supporting and enabling uh, governance. Countering corruption is part of governance. Corruption implies that a society's resources aren't being applied correctly for the benefit of that community. So figuring out a way to operate on that line of effort will be very useful, because if there's better governance in our partners... That means that they're stronger, more resilient against whatever threat outside or internal that they may be facing.
0: Right. And we've seen enough collapsing armies in Iraq and Afghanistan to uh, not want to go there anymore. Yeah.
1: Let me ask you Are you a reserve CA officer?
0: I am. I'm both a public affairs and civil affairs officer.
1: Okay, awesome. I was going to also mention in my paper, I mostly focus on the active component, but we can definitely talk about, like, well, what does this paper mean for the reserves?
0: Sure. Well, I was just interviewing. A couple people from an FXSP out of Staten Island, they run an agriculture cell and they are either agricultural academics or they are economists, but they all have these heavy hitting jobs in the outside and then they bring those skills into the reserves and it's super helpful because USDA doesn't always want to send people into high risk areas, but Having them go in uniform and go out to these high-risk areas in order to do agricultural assessments, yeah, they're fine with that because it's, you know, what the role is for. And that that was one of the things that one of the CA soldiers was telling me is the reason that people work in agencies and join civil affairs is so that they can get out there into the fold, a little more into the fray than what their agencies would allow them, and apply those skills so that we have early prevention, we have early inoculation to these things that cause grand corruption or terrorism or other things that are, I don't know, poisonous to the system in a lot of ways. Does that make sense? It does. And those
1: kind of people could be the
0: connective tissue between the active component and the interagency since they have feet in both worlds. I wish there was a better crossover between reserves and active duty so that if you needed someone who focused on energy or agriculture or banking, you could access a database that said, This is all of the CA forces, and oh, this guy runs a bank out of Minnesota. You know, and you call him up, and he can give you all of the structures that you need, or policies that govern, or oversight on banking, whatever it takes, whatever you're looking for. So I wish there was that kind of resource database.
1: Definitely. That's part of talent management. I'm not going to get into that because I'm not a human resources specialist, but the branch is small enough to where something like that could be happening informally, but there should be a way to formalize that hopefully so we can have a better connection between the reserve and active component. There might be another paper I have to write about how do we bridge that divide
0: between reserve and active a little bit more. I know we've been banging our heads on it for years. I think we're making strides in that direction.
1: I think that's definitely great. And also, you know, the first time you meet somebody, you don't want to just spend your time asking them, Well, what do you do? I think it's definitely a little primer for somebody if they might not have met someone from OTI, a Marine civil affairs officer. By the way, it was a great episode. I just listened to it actually a few days ago.
0: I'm glad you enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. In regards to the article, the branch is so small and the demand is so critical. Embassies Want some of the capability that we have? Other interagency entities want the capability we have. Commanders, GCCs, they all want this capability. I wanted to get more CA soldiers involved, or at least aware of what I was writing, so maybe they can say, "Well, on my next deployment, hey, you know what? Why can't we do that also? It's in the doctrine, you know. We, we're also trained on this stuff, or we should be training on this stuff in our unit levels."
0: Right. Actually, it sounds like you could be consulting as people are preparing to deploy so that they know they have these tricks or some type of reach back
1: sure also in my experience, having a command that's responsible for operation level effects in a region deploying for only six months and then have to relearn it all when the new guys come in seems a little inefficient. so the strategic environment is changing where you don't need only uh, maneuver guys, you know infantry armor or SF in charge of a task force or a command, you know, you can have a civil affairs guy or a SAP guy in charge because they would be better suited to orchestrate those effects in campaigns.
0: Sure. I had some folks that were working in, they were focused on Myanmar and the fentanyl trade and they're asking me what I could do about it. And I started organizing talks at panels and think tanks bringing in specialists on fentanyl and the military and counter-narcotics. And I started raising a lot of awareness on what was going on in in Myanmar and the fentanyl trade. And it's helped lead to a lot more counter-Chinese fentanyl operations in that area. So it's, it's a weird world. And you haven't even brought up the
1: other contributions to I.O. that civil affairs can provide. So obviously, you know, PAO, psyops they focus a lot on messaging but messaging is like an air campaign if you don't have boots on the ground to actually make the effects reality for lack of a better term it's kind of like an annoying ad on hulu or something so if we're pushing the u.s is here to help or work with us because of the benefits complement that with a ca team or ca unit on the ground actually doing something living up to the promise of that messaging
0: no, I totally agree. I th- I've always believed that the CBs and civil affairs are the best diplomats. Be- the Navy CBs, because they just build things. But civil affairs, they're out there working with populations, improving their economics, their politics, helping with their health systems, bringing out doctors and veterinarians whenever they're available. It just changes the whole conditions around local populations and governments. It's a, it's a terrific deal. Alright. Well one, I appreciate your time. No,
1: yeah, it sounds great. Hopefully um some of that stuff is usable for you. I know I'm not like the best public
0: speaker, so No, you do fine. Actually you're very clear. But okay. I, maybe I'll just start doing rough casts. That way people are like <laughs> I'm gonna have a beer and start talking on the radio. <laughs> yeah. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I got something to say. It'd be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you get a chance, please like and subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're interested in coming on the show or hosting an episode, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com. I'll have the email and CA Association website in the show notes. And now, most importantly, to those currently out in the field, working with a partner nation's people or leadership to forward U.S. relations, thank you all for what you're doing. This is Jack. Your host. Stay tuned for more great episodes, 1CA Podcast.